This podcast is created in partnership with Film Studies and the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences at the University of Sydney. We acknowledge the tradition of custodianship and law of the country on which the University of Sydney campuses stand, as well as the Darug people, where we all grew up. We pay our respects to those who have cared for and continue to care for country. I wish I knew how to quit. I see dead people. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Get away from her, you bitch! I'm gonna go! You want me to go f***ing trash your lights? Take two. Film verse. Film Hello listeners, my name is Craig Anderson and welcome to Film vs Film. This is the podcast where each episode we throw two different films into the ring, discuss their place in history, their modern virtues and how they stack up against each other. Which film will hold up and which film will be left on the cutting room floor. Today, it's all about James Bond 007 as we compare two movies that although they were filmed 50 years apart, are a part of the same franchise and feature the same lead character. How has the world changed around Britain's favourite spy? With me today are my two best friends from high school. Number three in the Spectre organisation, it's Herschel Isaacs. Thanks very much, Craig. I'm very, very excited for this conversation that's coming up. And as always, the Bambi to his thumper, (laughs) Herschel's identical twin brother and associate professor in film studies at the University of Sydney, Bruce Isaacs. Sadly, I don't even know that reference because I've never seen Bambi. <laughs> it's it, No, that's Diamonds Are Forever. Oh, is that those Bambi. two guys? No, I was going to do Winton Kid, which is the two villains. Those are two of my favourite characters but in the Thai Bond franchise. there's two women that fight him that are like <laughs> <laughs> overly gymnastic in the yeah, pool. Yeah, I know, yeah, 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 that's Bambi and Thumper. Oh, I didn't yeah, that's know their that. names. Yeah. I didn't get that reference, but the um, the two guys. The two hitmen? Yeah, hit I love those the, guys. And when they hold hands walking off. <laughs> Which is a very controversial and famous. Well, sequence. yeah, I mean, they didn't want to say they were gay, but they did everything they could well, to show it. Well, holding hands as they walk. Of the, I, I just yeah. think that's a wonderful scene. All right, now we grew up in the sprawling suburbs of Western Sydney, and as a trio of geeky nerds, we fell into a horrible addiction with film. Today, we'd like to shout out to one of the things that made us love the movies, and quite appropriately, it's James Bond. I was going to say, mm. let's talk about James Bond. James Bond is Even though like, it's not a place, it's not a locale, yeah. but it was like a, a, a such a deep part of our lives, right? It's, there are so many moments in my growing up yeah. where James Bond on a video cassette was put oh. into the machine and I was transported <laughs> to Cairo or... Well, actually, Herschel, it's hard to work What's your really? most profound... Because uh, obviously our memories, Herschel and Herschel's in my memory of James Bond are wrapped up with each other because we yeah. encountered James Bond together. And it goes back, we What's were born in South Africa. It goes yeah. back to we, so we were children, like eight, eight, seven, eight years. South oh, Africa. wow. Yeah, well, that's... Well, what movie so do you remember? So yeah. A View to a Kill premiered around about 85. It must mm-hmm. have been 85 because we left South Africa to come to Australia in 1986, April. Yeah. I remember, Bruce, I don't know if you're going to remember this. We were at school and Tyrone Colby... <laughs> um, was so excited about A View to a Kill. And mum had said, okay, we're definitely going to see it. And we were so excited because the Duran Duran song was playing yeah. on the previews. <laughs> so we'd, we'd be at home and it'd come on TV and then Duran Duran would be playing. And I don't know if you could get more excited than that. Yeah. I, 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 I was just hooked. I think nothing will ever be again like that. I remember my brother, Robbie, being born in 1984. Yeah. Mum went to the Blacktown Hospital 
We stayed at home and watched Moonraker on cassette. Ah, <laughs> oh, classic, classic. Hey, and stuff. then Lockie went through a Lockie Herschel's son went through a phase of watching Moonraker over and over because of Jaws. Yeah, yeah. And then my son Byron started watching Moonraker just for Jaws. Well, he only wants to watch <laughs> Jaws, so he will watch The Spy Love Me because mm-hmm. Jaws day de- he debuts there, de- which is actually yeah. a fantastic. I think it's one, of the, one of the best bonds. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then he loves watching Jaws fly out of the plane, and then he flaps his wings. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to really contrast an opening on Moonraker. <laughs> With mm. the contrast of something like No Time to Die, because I love how you reference 50 years apart. Mm. It seems even further apart than 50 years yeah, in yeah. terms of what's represented now. Um, the first thing you said, Craig, was that like we were like three movie geeks, and you know, mm-hmm. I would say that for me, James Bond encapsulates movies. Certainly, as a young person, I think of the Goonies and and, and some of these yeah. Gremlins, seeing some of these amazing things. But for me, it's Bond because I remember all mm. these little tiny little fragments of memory around James Bond. Yep. We went to Video Right to try to get You Only Live Twice. Video Right, we've referenced this in the podcast before. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a cover of a movie which just got your blood boiling. It was so exciting. <laughs> and then under that, they had those, those slots where they would have copies of it, the two to three copies. Yeah. And when we got there, this was in Weinberg, a suburb in South Africa. When we got there, it wasn't available. And I remember no, being, that was just one of the most disappointing things. It was a Sunday after church, and we had planned to go back. Like, church was quite a long, quite, quite a long thing. And we'd go back home to just watch a Bond movie, and we couldn't because yeah. it, was, it was out. I, I mean, the other thing for me with Bondies, like, I, I think that in my own, like, in my own working life, you, you tend to move into things that are a bit more sort of Hybrid. highfalutin. Yeah, and, and, and now, fortunately, in my career, I've been able to keep most of my workers on genre cinema, right? But I will say that what is interesting about Bond, I think Bond crosses over between serious stuff you can do with it and absolute escapism. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite memories of an academic conference, I was at this seriously important academic conference in London, and uh, this dude was given a keynote, and it was on James Bond. Now, I almost <laughs> never go to these things, right? Cause was they, he British? British guy. Awesome. Because they bore the living crap out of you, some of these papers, <laughs> yeah. right? This guy gets up. He has no script. He gave a talk about Bond and kind of the history of global um, espionage okay. through the lens of James Bond. But you could tell immediately this was just an excuse <laughs> to revel in James Bond for an hour. So no script. This dude just walked around the stage mm-hmm. remembering James Bond. That's what it was. I mean, it was an interesting uh, paper. It maniac. wasn't scholarly. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it was – and, and so what occurred to me was, wow, this connects you and your research to Lockie watching Moonraker. You know, the, the, like it's um, – the only thing where that, that is interesting now with a movie like No Time to Die or The Legacy of Daniel Craig is – Questions around, you know, gender, sexuality. Oh, look, we're going to we'll come, get into don't, that don't, stuff. Come on. We're talking about <laughs> growing up as kids in Western Sydney. Let's not bring it down with the horrible no, stuff but that Bond does. All I'm say is things like that didn't matter to us. Well, we but an interesting we didn't thing understand is we didn't either, understand you know? it. We, we weren't even aware of it, I would say. But yeah. the interesting thing is, so after A View to a Kill, obviously that's the end of Roger Moore. We, the three of us have, have, you know, joked before that Roger Moore was so old. You needed a stuntman to get out of a chair in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, after that, of course, 
that moves into um, Timothy Dalton. Mm. And I hope we get a chance to talk more than just the two films we've chosen to today because it's really it's a tribute to James Bond and what it represents yeah. in film history. And the importance really. of No Time to Die. Yeah, and the importance of Daniel Craig in No Time but to we, Die. But we were born in 76, and I think it's important to point out that as teenagers during high school, we were in the big drought. Of Bond. Yeah. Well, it went from Timothy Dalton Timothy in 89, which yeah. is our year seven, and then nothing until after we graduated high school. And that's when United Artists oh, declared bankruptcy. Yeah, that's with Goldeneye. Wow. And it's because they had tied And United up the Artists whole... declared bankruptcy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, sold, they got sold to MGM. Yeah. And nobody would fund a Bond movie because of, <laughs> because of Timothy Dalton and the yeah. amount of money he cost well, everyone. to kill. Well, uh, yeah, and then there was this, the Kevin McClure big um, lawsuit over Thunderball and the rights to yeah. Spectre yeah, and yeah, Bond yeah, films. Yeah. There were a lot of complications, but it meant that we didn't have that high school moment with a you know a Bond necessarily. But see, even when Timothy Dalton's... When, uh, when The Living Daylights came out, yeah. I was super excited about that as well. We went to the movies to see it, and they were aiming at something a little more realistic. It was espionage. It was yeah. Cold War. Mm. And I found it quite exciting. I mean, it's it's a mixed bag I, when you I, watch I, it nowadays. I, should, yeah, I love Living Daylights, but I, my parents wouldn't take me because they still because they were M-rated. And I don't know what was wrong with my parents. We could watch <laughs> I, I the Bond films. I don't know how the hell you lived, man. I don't know. Well, we had, I had to wait. My first, M movie. my first Bond in cinema was Goldeneye in 95 yeah, when yeah. I was 19. Mm. <laughs> I went with the whole family then. I don't know why we had to wait so long to watch a Bond film. But that was my first Bond in cinema. And yeah, otherwise, right. it had always been VHS tape. That yeah. was the only way to watch yeah. a Bond. All right, let's move on. Today's episode will be full of spoilers. So if you haven't seen either film, then you should probably avoid what is probably one of the best kept secrets in cinema history. Take one. First up on today's show, On Her Majesty's Secret Service 1969. After six very successful outings as James Bond, Sean Connery stepped out of the role of 007 and was replaced by Australian model-cum-actor George Lazenby. The film was the directorial debut of Peter Hunt, who had edited the first six Bond films, as well as a slew of other action thrillers. The story sees a rich and powerful Bond ally ask the super spy to marry his daughter, Tracy, in return for £1 million and pertinent information about the whereabouts of Bond's arch-nemesis, Blofeld. What follows is a series of escapades, action sequences, and romantic montages that conclude in the wedding of James Bond and his love, Tracy, played by Diana Rigg. The couple drive off happily together (laughs) until on the final beat of the film, Tracy is shot dead by the escaping uh, Telly Savalas Blofeld and his partner, is it? Irma Bunt, I think. Yes, his yes. Bunt, yeah. yes. Set primarily in the Swiss Alps with action sequences by future Bond director John Glenn, a score by iconic composer John Barry, and a romantic theme sung by jazz great Louis Armstrong. The film comparatively flopped and was maligned by audiences, with Sean Connery returning for the very next film. For decades, this was considered a weird anomaly in the Bond franchise, and everyone seemed happy to forget it. But in the last 15 years or so, there's been a shifting appreciation for the film, especially with the less campy and more singular universe world uh, created by the Daniel Craig tenure. Bruce, what do you think of this film? So I have a soft spot for Honor Majesty's Secret Service because I think that I really like George Lazenby. Mm-hmm. So for me, this movie really turns on what do we make of this weird moment in the history of the franchise around the casting of George Lazenby? And I did a little bit of research on this, and I had no idea, for example, that 
Sean Connery has a huge falling out mm-hmm. with the Broccolis. Uh, he's he's furious uh, and doesn't want to make the next Bond. <laughs> Apparently, it was mostly over money, but when he was in Japan, to yeah, shoot, yeah. Uh, he was twice. getting mobbed. And then at some point, uh, lost photographers put cameras over the toilet stalls to take photos <laughs> of him, and he lost it. And he said, that's so, it, I'm and, out And of he this. said he's out, right? Yeah. In the same way that, you know, there's a sort of lovely synchrony between these these moments because, you know, Daniel Craig... So I was going to say, Daniel Craig on Spectre, yeah. to some extent... He he encapsulates the modern. It's too much for me. They're yep. expecting too much. Didn't I've had to do my life. Like I, you'd have to kill me, or <laughs> like for me to do another. For me to do something like that. It was, uh-huh. it was this kind of glib line. Like you would never get me to do it. And then they did get him to do the final one. So going back to Honor Majesty's Secret Service, I think it lives and dies by what you think of George Lazenby, because the movie I think holds up, mm-hmm. right? Um, I like George Lazenby because he's interestingly different to any of the other Bonds that have ever existed. And so Lazenby was, now if my understanding is correct, he was offered a deal of six mm. Bond movies. Yeah. And he turned it down because, mm-hmm. and now again, if my understanding is correct, but this is one of the strangest decisions in the history of, of cinema. No, suppose he it, doesn't want to be typecast supposedly as Bond because he wants to grow his career. I read that his agent called him up and said, okay, look, they've offered you Bond long term. Mm. You look good. You're going to be in the next physical. Bond, right? Um, it's a, there's going to be a lot of money in it. But be careful because we don't know how long this is going to go on for. And you may oh, not be able to right. get another role. Well, the the yeah. agent's discussion was about Bond was going out of fashion. Yes, because he's Bond conservative. Was, you know, and, 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 and so this is 19, this is the late 60s. And if you think about where cinema goes, we're like in the middle of the avant-garde. Easy Rider. Yes, yes, exactly. Easy Rider comes yeah. out and makes a fortune. So the agent's probably thinking, there's no future here, but you've got huge momentum. So the, the, a- the agent's <laughs> thinking, if you do two, you're dead, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the agent's also thinking, there goes my commission. Yeah. So that's the end of Lazenby. But Lazenby also, he turns up with a beard to the premiere because yeah. he wanted to look counterculture. Yeah. And he, and he thought that Bond was a stick. So it's interesting that's what he, that, that he saw his, himself yeah. as a countercultural figure <laughs> and he's playing James Bond. So, okay, my, my, my sense is that people often say he's a poor actor. I don't see that at all. I, yeah, I, I agree. I'm watching the movie, and I feel like he's a model. He's not doing much. Yeah, and he and when he does, it's not too bad. See, the I way think, people talk about him makes it sound I think like he's a dreadful. presence. I, I don't think. I don't think. Okay, so that's where I, I disagree a little bit. With what, what you said, you said the movie is sort of it, it, it stands or falls by George Lazenby. Yeah. Now, for me, I don't think Lazenby works that well in this film. I actually like the movie, though. I think Telly Savalas is fantastic. I think he's one of the best villains. Mm-hmm. I absolutely mm-hmm. love Telly. And I love the look he's of He's quite him. a campy villain, I think, Telly Savalas. 100%. Like, he's very campy. Because, Curry, you yeah, said but he's not as that... campy as Charles Gray in the next film. No. So <laughs> no. Like, that's ridiculous. No. He dumbs up forever. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think one of the things <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to argue <laughs> in the middle <laughs> is I'm going to argue that, in fact, I think Honor Majesty's Secret Service introduces a level of camp Mm. That Roger Moore's going to run with when when he gets, <laughs> and I've got a quote in my mise en scene that it's just the greatest dialogue. But in James Bond, <laughs> I mean, I think you're right there. But contrast it with Sean Connery, what's come before. So when he introduces himself, or when Bond is introduced for the first time, I admire your luck, Mister Bond, James Bond. And then it's very Mr. suave, Bond. and it's, yeah. When Lazenby, in, he goes, "My name's Bond." James Bond. When I heard it, I was going, if I was the director, I would go, George, that's good, but let's try that one again. <laughs> but there's <laughs> a few things where, here's the irony of it for me. When George Lazenby mm. is playing the hilly, the, the camp 
uh, oh, investigator, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's actually very oh, good and convincing. Fantastic. But wait, do you when he's know, playing Bond, he's, I don't yeah. like him. Uh, do you realise he's dubbed in that stuff? What do you mean he's dubbed? That's not his voice. The actor who plays Healy, the butterfly the, or the genetic expert, yeah. he does the voice for Lazenbury for all those scenes. Are it's you sure? literally dubbed. Yeah, it's over-recorded in post Wow. with that guy because... I don't know why they decided perhaps. to do that, but yeah. they wanted it to make it look like, and and it doesn't work a lot of the time. I've been told it, and then I, when I watch, when you watch for it, you can yeah. see it because there's a moment when he's in the office with that guy, and then he, the guy says, "Do you think you can do it?" Mm. And then they, he says something back to him in his own voice, right? When they, and then, then and the contrast is, and, it. and, yeah. done, and, and it's and meant to look like some sort okay. of magical. It's like that scene in Mission Impossible where they've got a uh, yeah. with the mask, they've got a voice chip that yes. goes on the neck and makes your voice change. They're trying to do that, yeah, but they do it so poorly that you don't even realize. But so when he is acting as the the genetic expert and goes mm. to Piz Gloria, it's just. It's literally overdubbed, and yep. the performance is much better because well, it's well, and I think someone that's, else. But doing it's the also voice. that the whole setting is so strange. Yes, it's kind of. But 60s I love it. I love weird. the eeriness. It's, it's almost it. like a Get Smart episode. But you that's know why Get I don't think it's episodes where yeah. you know Max and and Ninety Nine would find themselves among chaos, and they'd all start dancing. Like <laughs> in sixties, good <laughs> dancing. The, the set design. And the look of it, the location shooting is mm-hmm. as good as any yeah. Bond movie. And Bond movies are considered to be the best of their I kind. I think it's that, great. Right? Yeah. So yeah. I think it's amazing. But I, the it's issue also I'm massively indebted to uh, one of my favorite movies, Where Eagles Dare. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know mm-hmm. if you thought of it. Yeah, because yeah, Where Eagles Dare well, was the cable, the, the cable car. The cable car sequence is entirely yeah. lifted from Eagles Dare. But um, Where Eagles Dare is... Um, screening mid-1968. This comes out 1969, so they're shooting probably earlier that year. So you can see there's an influence of taking that big-scale snow setting yeah. and just importing it into a bond. Now, you see, w- what I think is really interesting with this movie, if you look at the scenes with Lazenby and, and Diana Rigg and then Lazenby and Telly Savalas, he's clearly not capable of the range that they've got. No. So, so yeah. when, when you contrast him with them, he comes across as a model. Well, she's one of the strongest Bond women. She's fantastic. She's absolutely She's brilliant. just, I mean, she's stunning. She's just perfect in the role. What about when her father says, she needs a man to make love to her? <laughs> <laughs> just tag that on the end. Because but you know what I found really interesting? I mean, there's a, there's a weird sexual politics in this movie. Well, that, that's the thing. It's Shakespeare. It feels like Timing of the Shrew. Yeah. Like there's well, an I element of... Shakespearean. <laughs> There's an, there's an, for me, with Lazenby, the irony of it is the hardest scene, the scene that requires the most range for him when, when Tracy gets murdered by Telesavalas, which that scene is pretty much replicated shot for shot in inner space where the, where the, where the car comes past and, and, and shoots at Martin Short. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, I'm serious. That's, that's really amazing reference. What? But so when he shoots Tracy... space the other day, actually. When, he shoots, when they shoot Tracy and then he says... Oh, She's it's going to be okay. She's just asleep. Yeah. Ironically, it was so and weird. And then the city say, we have all the time we have, in the world. Oh, and that's where it cuts into Louis Armstrong. Comes. Yes. But what was, what was quite interesting to me is it's so, you know, off the planet weird for Lazenby because this guy's been going, okay. hi, I'm Bond. Can I tell and you an insight? I know that we can only go off the final film, but I read that he did a whole take where he was crying the entire time. 
<laughs> wait, wait, the he's crying in he the did. movie or he's so emotionally I've heard this. raw? That's yeah, shot I've heard through this. He's window. such a method actor that he's just crying <laughs> he's on set. Crying. <laughs> he's crying because he's like, why did I do this? <laughs> he's crying because he's acting and he's, yeah, and he's yeah. genuinely sad about her death. He cries for the entire take and then they go, we should do that again, but this time don't cry. <laughs> Like I can't ima- I don't know if it was terrible if the yeah, crying yeah. was comical or if he was just well, it was I just too much. Or if something. you're not a trained actor, mm. it's hard to control those levels of of, of well, expression. Of, right? Talking of not trained actor, I heard yeah. that one of the reasons they they went with him, he came in to audition and and pretended he snuck his way in apparently, and then he punched the stuntman <laughs> and broke <laughs> broke his jaw. And then bro- the broccoli. <laughs> Listen, that's our man. Well, the broccoli company went. You know, they were all like, "Oh, well, that's awesome. He's real tough." But it's it's sort of like if I had someone who broke a jaw in an audition, I'd be like, "Okay, let's let's make sure. not employ this." Yeah, man. it'd be like the, Peter Sellers in the party. I'd write their name down and go, "Don't have them ever come." Well, on th- set. there's a physicality oh, to the party. <laughs> there's a physicality to, to, to the party sometimes. to George Lazenby that hadn't existed in Bond before. So Sean Connery, although he's not overweight, actually or anything, that's true. Sean. He's never muscle. He's never that's physique. Right. Yeah. Um, but the fight scene on the beach. Well, that's my point. So, Actually, no, Connery. So he, what about from Russia with Love? The but, fight with Robert Shaw. Yeah, but yeah, but that's he's still not a physi- he's that's still not a, a physical yeah. figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Lazenby, he they clearly get him wet immediately. And that shirt, they want to show that V shape. They want to show the Brando look from Streetcar. Well, like com- the, compare know, that to um, Daniel Craig, Casino Royale, when he comes out of the water. Yeah, yeah. So that's Ursula Andres. Yeah. But it's doing the same thing. It's putting Bond as the physical figure. That's not been done before. It was always and a, it was right, always a woman. When it before. goes to um, mm-hmm. Sean Connery with Diamonds Are Forever, mm-hmm. Sean is now over the hill a bit, right? And he's yeah. clearly he's wearing he's wearing a wig. He's overweight. <laughs> <laughs> and then you go to Roger Moore, and Roger Moore is the much more urbane kind of you know um cultured he's no longer the physical guy you know he's not going to beat anyone up i mean yeah. if you if you see in in the first one live and let die he starts doing like windmill punches <laughs> right because he's just not that guy the, the, I, I had a note in my um in 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 my watching of honor Majesty's secret service uh, one thing that really dates the movie and is a massive problem for young audiences but also just going back is the way they use um, things like like stupid things like jump cuts mm. to get crazy intense movements on in, action on a Majesty's bro. Yeah, yeah. I, I was and like really cranking surprised. frame rates and stuff, which okay, was a the, thing in the sixties. But that that's the thing. I think John Glenn was known for that as the editor. Really? Yes, yeah, right. And, okay. and the, the the speed ramping he did in the yeah. first few films, everyone was like, "Whoa, this is action as we've never seen." Yeah. And the action, the fighting in this, is intensely fast and sharp. Yeah. Which I think for the time was very exciting. But it was I don't think it's dated that badly. I watched really? it. I See, don't I think I it's that bad. Yeah, I didn't I, have that much trouble. It really pulled me out of it because, mm. okay, so so things like that happen in Goldfinger. You know the scene where Bond throws pussy galovies and, and yeah, just yeah, ramps yeah. and goes like, yeah. and but you kind of see that the music matches the comedy of the moment. Yeah. In this, we're talking about a proper aesthetic in which you're going to use a, a you know a technique to give the impression and, and the affect of intense movement, right? I, I, I watch it now and I kind of think, well, we live in a digital world and you can speed ramp anything in any way you want. Mm. And it's pretty fluid, right? You watch that and it's very... But then there's also but the jump that, cutting. There's crazy it, jump cuts across it, the line but everywhere. Yeah, but what about Jason Bourne? Is that, like, you watch Jason, you watch Jason yeah. Bourne 1, the scene yeah. in the hotel room when they're fighting and you know the guy, I don't know why they got him to walk like the Terminator, but in that fight... They're just picking up a book and throwing it yeah. at a person. That's cutting. That's that's no, no, but, shot after shot after. But shot. see, I've got nothing against 
crazy cutting. With the jump cut, that's deliberately cutting something that can't be continuous. Mm. So you're cutting in ways where movements are overlapping, for example. So you'll smack a guy in the chin, then we'll get another angle of him smacking the guy in the chin, but they don't stitch up. And what that gives you the impression of is, oh my God, I'm getting jolted in the frame. Mm -hmm. But it kind of looks silly to me. But see, I didn't mind the frenzy of it if... George Lazenby like could pull off the one-liners and stuff, yeah. but he turned it all into comedy. Like when <laughs> when he knocks out the the, the oar from the boat on the beach scene yeah, and the yeah, boat yeah. falls out. I can't remember what he said, but I was thinking, really after after that yeah. aggressive fight, I gotta say Diana Reed keeps that, that scene keeps that whole opening sequence moving. Yeah, because she's so good, and she's a really you know I gotta t- take your hat off to those guys right to the the producers because she's a Bond woman unlike anyone that existed in the Bond franchise. It's the before. first. It's the first layered, complex Bond yep. woman. It really is. Because but also the relationship. Like, do you guys buy the relationship, like the love? You yeah, know, for example, take Casino Royale. I do from her end. Yeah. I can see that I feel like it's love. But also, I do think John Barry's score really helps yeah, the love. Yeah. Like it, the way he uses a Louis Armstrong in, in little pieces is just but the glorious. Love, right? The love from his end stretches credibility because the man just slept with all the women <laughs> in, in the snow mm-hmm. and then he turns up Coincidentally, and then she's there to rescue but him at the car she, race. She forgives him in a split second by saying she's come there to find him. And yeah. there's a sort of, um, you know, the subtext is I'm, I've come to make you a proper man, into a proper man mm. kind of thing. Yeah. And that's supposed to erase what we've seen where this dude is going to every woman's bed every night. Um, See, I think if the film was better, I like I like this film a lot. Yeah. It's one of my favorite Bond films. Yeah. I think it's the only Bond film that made any sense up until the last <laughs> few years because it's a a male gigolo, like a yeah. you know some sort of nut job who wants to sleep with everyone, who then finds love and then is she's murdered. Yeah. And that's like yeah, okay. And it destroys him. Sucked in that that yeah. is who you are and that's why you are. Yeah. And that was a film that made yeah. sense for Bond. It's but the I, first Bond that transitions from pure fantasy. Yeah. And yeah. and a, like a caricatured film. Yeah. To something saying, okay, there's a there's a there's degree of emotion, range, there's yeah. a degree of realism that yeah. we're going to introduce now for the yeah. first time. Even Telesavalis, it's genetic modification, which was like using medicine. It's clinical. Yeah, it's not the whole crazy Moonraker business and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, and know? I feel like this film has um, more to it than uh, I probably put more to it. I read more into it than yep. than it actually offers. Like I think the idea that Bond finds someone he could love, but he's actually doing it to f- to meet Blofeld, to kill, yes. you know, to continue his mission. But in the back of his mind, she's there. Yep. And then he has the mission of sleeping with uh, women from everywhere on Earth. Like that's some a recurring theme like in Bond as well. Yeah. You sleep with women because that's part of your job. Yes, but then it's yeah. sort of like, it's like some weird masculine idea of a Bucks party. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's 10 different beautiful women. But i got to say, for me, that's the best wanna, part of the movie. Yeah, if you still want to get with your wife, then it shows that... And I find it interesting that they had that bizarre thing where Hillary Bray or the the, yeah. the genetic yeah, yeah. guy he's pretending is gay, and that yeah. they're all pretending like they have to sleep with him to prove that he's not gay. Mm. It's like a bonus thing to. And you've got all like the one line. A bonus, yeah. I'm extra a little bit stiff to make. Wait, sure. don't don't step on that because I'm gonna. That's gonna be uh, my misunderstanding because it's the passage of dialogue is just precious. <laughs> There's a, there's a comparison in um, the Daniel Craig era of uh, the first film, Casino Royale, yeah. and I know a lot of fans of Bond like that. But I don't think that's very good because there's uh, – for me, because 
Casino Royale is about a, a, he meets a woman, she they fall in love. It turns out that she was blackmailing or, or betraying yeah. him. Yeah, but because her yeah, because she's in a horrible situation, yeah, like a victimhood where her boyfriend or what we mm. retrospect in another film find out he was tricking her. But who cares? In her mind, mm. her boyfriend's being held by bad people who will kill him unless she does this task, which is to seduce Bond and to yep. trick him. And so I'm like, well, why does Bond hate her at the end? That just shows that Bond's a damn fool. Because no, but no, no, but, but see, I, I think, I think look, Bond's, a, like, it's, it's paving the way for Bond is a truly dysfunctional possible yes, sociopath. Yes, it, it justifies his mm. sociopath. No, I agree with that, Oshawa. Well, that's but, my reading of it. But I like OHMS. Like, I think yeah. that's what the reading's meant to be, but that just makes me go, well, I don't like you. Yeah, I don't but want Lazen, to follow James Bond But Lazenby, the, once again, we're coming up against this wall where Lazenby can't act to a level where he can convince you of any yeah. complexity no, in these characters. He doesn't have the range to... He certainly doesn't have the he range He doesn't have a range for a TV. TV commercial, and that's where you started, actually, in TV commercials, I read. I mean, I think, uh, I like what you said before, Herschel, that, like, Bond is a dysfunctional guy, right? Mm. And I love the way, for example, that Skyfall takes that back to your childhood, that this but, guy but lived a traumatic childhood. Yeah. Let's just go into that too much, because yeah. the contrast for me between the Daniel Craig Bond, for me, actually links very well to Honor Majesty's here. I think there's a there's a genuine um, Well, no time to connection. die. I could not believe the degree to which it was riffing on Honor Majesty's. Well, that's, I mean, I, we'll, mean, I think we'll get on to that. Yeah. But I think it relies on a lot of nostalgia. Yeah. I think that they realized they screwed up the, the Craig franchise. With Spectre. With, with all of them. Yeah. Like, the way they screwed up those Star Wars films, where they were written one film at a time, and they went, oh, how do we retrospectively put things in to make it matter? And it's like, yeah. well, yeah, let's steal stuff from our past. Luckily, we've got a 25-film history and we can steal music and yeah. themes and all of that stuff that will help the audience understand what we want to achieve. I guess I've got a different reading of the Daniel Craig era. Okay, all right. We'll come to Daniel Craig then. Or unless you think it's, we should do it now. No, no, no. Let's okay. go. We need to, okay. I just want to add... Uh, we'll move on to Daniel Craig. I just want to add, for people who don't know Bond, so we're talking as massive Bond yeah. <laughs> nerds. Um, but Bond is, a, 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 it's the story of the same guy. It's Ian Fleming, World War II, turned into an author, went crazy, bought a golden typewriter, <laughs> made lots of money. <laughs> is that as, true? He had a golden typewriter? He had a golden typewriter, wow. and it's full of racist stuff. It's full of sexist stuff. It's full of very dysfunctional, post-traumatic World War II stuff and Cold War era stuff. There's been all these sequence of films, and it's probably... 70 years now? I think that's mm. the longest running franchise. Yeah, it is. You know, like mm. maybe Godzilla, maybe something is kind of close. Yeah, but not with the same regularity. Regularity and also the, 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 the way that it's being held onto by one company, yeah. one family for that long. Like it is a very unique cinematic property that exists. Yeah. And, and it's been resilient as well. Yeah. It went out for years. Yeah. It went bank. United Artists went bankrupt. The Broccoli's stuck by it. Yeah. Um, Supposedly, Cubby was this control freak and he wanted final say on everything. But somehow it gets resurrected and for some reason it continues to resonate with new audiences. That's the well, amazing thing. Well, that's because thing. they reinvent. Like, you mm. look at the 60s, mm. it's a travelogue. You look at the 70s, they're riffing on black exploitation and yeah, martial yeah, arts yeah. films. And then Star Wars, they try and do Moonraker. Yeah. They are very aware of what's going on in blockbuster world. Always and they try no, that to always way, match that's it. its true 
B sensibilities because it's all B movies, dude. yeah. Especially the 60s well, exactly. And 70s. I mean, look at the eighties; it's yep. action films yep. and drug lords. Yep. In the nineties, it's ridiculous gadgets and invisible cars and yep. stupid, ac- you know, crazy and action. It, but that's why I love Skyfall. That's what genre that cinema has to do. It, well, it has to cannibalize stuff. Yeah, you know, that's what. It but does. but is Daniel is the Daniel Craig era? Or send, let's go Skyfall, right? So that scene where he walks into the gallery and then cues that's there next to him, and that's the first time he meets the new quartermaster, mm-hmm. and then. He goes, oh, a gun and a radio, not exactly Christmas. And I love that line because it's saying that what's come before is different. And now what's going to head forward is we're trying to do something different. But that's the mm. thing. People credit Chris Nolan for stealing Batman, uh, for stealing um, James Bond. But then they say that Skyfall is trying to do Christopher Nolan. Like it's sort of self-reflective mm. on the current trends. And no film sequence series has ever done that. But it's also very easy to dismiss because there are a lot of horrible, especially before 2005 or 2006, there's just a lot of really weird things that modern audience, if you're a kid now and you go, what's a James Bond film? You watch one. You might not ever watch another one again. <laughs> well, that Pierce Brosnan run toward the end was just bloody. Oh, awful. there's ridiculous, just yeah. terrible the invisible car as well. Yeah. There's yeah. an invisible car for God's sake. He, he, yeah. At one point, he surfs off a kite and turns into a surfboard or something. Yeah, yeah. You know? that was the opening to um, like North Korean. George. Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah. So it's a very unique franchise, but there are certain things that um, they always do in their format, which is interesting. Musical cues, absolutely. The yeah. opening gun barrel sequence, the fact that there's always a boss. Called M, and yep. there's always someone supplying. But also, weaponry. the way you just exactly what you just said before, they always have to be current. Yeah. So in a way, Bond has accompanied fifty years of kind of okay, well, the fall of the 70 empire, now. 70, right? The fall yeah. of the British Empire, the rise of America as uh, the, 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 the power, end of the Cold War, the end of the Cold War. Bond reflected all these things, so geopolitically. But then, if you look at the way Bond has framed things like. Um, you know, heterosexual relationships. Mm-hmm. At, if we go all the way back to Dr. No and through to just the most recent uh, No Time to Die, um, the question, the fact that uh, Cube is gay, for example. Yeah, in, yeah. You know, you kind of think, wow, so this is a franchise that has had to be current and to, in fact, every one of the movies is a kind of intervention to what's going on right now. And I think that's amazing. What other franchise can... Other than I mean, I think Marvel. they've been very clever. Like that's, I think what you both have said there is, is very true, that, that the people who designed this, the people who wrote it, they've been very clever for a long time now. But I guess what I'd say is that, to some extent, I see some of these things, like the context, the, the, the geopolitical um, spectrum at the time, as kind of being peripheral. Like, I'm, I'm always seeing it as the to some extent, the hero's journey. So Bond's the underdog. He's not supposed to win, and then he wins. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, it's always the good guy versus the bad guy. It's the, it's, it is it is Batman. It's Mission Impossible. It's all of those things because they're all the same thing. But um, I do think there's, you know, I agree, but they are variations in that mm. template. And I think Bond is a really interesting variation where... In many ways, it shouldn't work. I, it shouldn't work commercially. <laughs> but Especially it's in the 60s. Apart. It shouldn't have worked in the 60s. But, Bruce, but if you've got, you got too many more Pierce Brosnans under your belt, that's the yeah. end of Bond. Well, look, that I think without Connery... out of control. Because I watched Doctor No recently, right? Yeah. It is a masterpiece. Like, and if you didn't have that movie to commence... Even the credit sequence. I mean, who was doing credits like that? But yeah. Never Say you Never know? Again. Well, Saul, Bass, Saul Bass did it for maybe, yeah. Hitchcock, right? Yeah. And, he, and they bring him on for this, and it's one of the most striking credit sequences. Yeah. Take two. All right, well, let's move on to our second film. 
which is 2021's No Time to Die. After decades of hiring functional journeyman slash journey person, although I guess every director of Bond films has been a man, so mm. journeyman director. Is that true? There's never been a female director? Of course there's never been. A, the, the, apart that would have been so interesting. What is it? Phoebe Waller-Bridge on this film is the only time a woman has helped write a Bond or been in <laughs> any way associated with the writing. I was just thinking, imagine like Catherine Bigelow had done a Bond movie. Oh, amazing. How cool would that have been? Anyway, the Eon production company started hiring prestige directors, including Oscar winner Sam Mendes, who directed 2012's Skyfall. After courting various auteurs, including Danny Boyle, for this film, they settled on true detective creator Carrie Fukunaga. The film stars Daniel Craig in his fifth and final outing as James Bond. The story finds Bond retired and living alone when he is dragged into a situation against a villain who is hell-bent on killing his prior love, Madeline Swan, and what he soon discovers is his daughter. After the villain uses nanobots to prevent Bond from ever seeing his family again, he decides to sacrifice his own life to save the world, and for the first time in almost 70 years and 27 films, James Bond dies. The film garnered mixed reviews, but currently stands as the highest-grossing film in the pandemic era. Yep. I mean, that's the most striking part of what No Time to Die did. No movie did that, mm -hmm. right? All the movies that were touted as it's going to save the cinema, they all tanked. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, and and it wasn't just, a, yeah, like it wasn't just Marvel. Right? You had Christopher Nolan behind a movie. Yeah. You had so many people trying. It once again says something about Bond. And it also, Bond translates from the UK to the United States. Then it does big business in China. Something about this franchise works. Mm. And they waited They waited a year and a half. Well, I remember more. when Herschel told me that Netflix had made an offer yeah. to take No Time to Die off the hands of the studio. Ha, wasn't it like... 600 this, million. Yes, yeah. And so they, they were just... We can make more money. Hands clear, 600 million, we give it to you. I think they've made 750 million in Last I saw November. was 900. Wow. And they were losing... They were, um, the The... Well, the Broccoli family, the production company, mm -hmm. they were losing a million dollars a month in interest payments wow. because, because they weren't earning any money and they were owing yeah. that money yeah. that was borrowed to make the film. But they had such faith. They knew they had a good film. Right. Well, it's an I don't know. I, well, Herschel, we should okay. throw yeah. it over to Herschel, Herschel yeah, to yeah. introduce us. Herschel, what's your take on No Time to Die? The question for me is how do you, how do you measure or evaluate a movie like this? First of all, as Craig, you said, it's the, it's the longest Bond ever. It's got an opening scene. So Craig mentioned that every Bond scene has got a prologue aside from Dr. No, which is quite an interesting thing. Well, but Dr. No does have that sort of interesting thing where the three blind men come in. <laughs> but no, that's a br hey, that is a beautifully it's, staged it's a scene. It's an opening man. title. It's interesting. Hey, I stand by that bloody scene. It's but it's not scene, what you expect for a Bond, Bond no. prologue. No, no, James Bond is an Okay, because from Russia with love, yeah. we're going to get something. And then from Goldfinger, it's it's So now, that's, what I'm, that's in fact what I'm referencing here because it's got an opening that plays out in time frames that are decades apart, right? Yeah. It's got multiple locations. Now, I, I was just gonna say, remember from Russia with Love, that's like reading the most taut kind of John le Carré mm. set mm. piece. And No Time to Die couldn't be further from that. It's, it's, well, can it's, I just say, this is the first time it breaks the format in regards to time. It starts with a flashback. No Bond exactly. film has ever had a flashback. And apart from that, after that, it jumps five years after the opening titles. Yep. The longest a jump ever occurred in a Bond film was when Pierce Brosnan is captured by the North Koreans. Oh, that's right. And he's no, being tortured, point, for, tortured a for a year because 9-11's yeah. happening and they wanted to explain why Bond didn't stop 9-11. 
<laughs> like literally, Wait, is that, serious? that is dead serious. The producers went, "Oh, that, Bond could have saved 9/11, so we need to work out why he did." That shows you how crazy the yeah. world had gone. But at best, that, that's that, a year. If Bond wasn't going to try and save 9/11. Something was wrong globally. <laughs> so that is why, and, and but in this time, we jumped five years. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. We go jump, on. But not only, no, but not only do we jump five years. What kind of movie do we have? Is it really a Bond movie when it opens with that first prologue scene of the child? And I'm going to talk more about. Yeah, this. I don't, I don't understand that myself. So that's astonishing. That's a glorious itself. scene, I think. So now, so now we're talking in the vicinity of twenty years. It's yeah. weird, right? Yeah. The whole thing's strange. But in a sense, you're also seeing kind of scenes within scenes, and it's just build up of a kind of collage of of stuff that happens in that opening, but which is very unusual. Now, the final thing that we have to grapple with by the time this episode finishes is, as you said, Craig, at the end of this film, James Bond dies. Well, now, if you watch to the end of the credits. It says James Bond will return, but we know that James Bond's name in Skyfall was James Bond, so we don't even know. So this know. is the first thing I said to Herschel afterward. Okay, can name. we talk about it? Because I was in a different yeah. state. Yeah, in, and so in we, were text, we were in the WhatsApp, we text, right? Yeah, we, as soon as the, like, and I didn't even know you guys were seeing it yeah, at that yeah. time. It was just. Well, me and Herschel saw it on a preview, you know, one of these media things I got. So we saw it a week before it came oh, out. Oh, and then you yeah. went to cinema again? Yeah, then we yeah. saw it again oh, a few you didn't days even later. tell me. Okay, great. Well, that's very nice of you. I went to watch it Saturday morning. Yeah, no, no, morning. we were keeping it secret. In fact, can I tell you a small thing? Yeah. When I put out the media thing, which I have to give to our media people, I have to mm-hmm. write a little blurb thing. Richard Wilkins. Writes back. Did I tell you this? Richard, Richard Wilkins, Wilkins is an back. Australian. Um, oh, he's a critic. I use he wrote well, back. critic with those big uh, inverted <laughs> commas around. He it wrote back saying, "Um, why the spoiler? There what was spoiler? no spoiler. What spoiler did you put? I nothing. I didn't say anything about a spoiler. I said something. It was about the legacy of Daniel Craig, and I said, well, at the end of Daniel Craig now, because mm. that's acknowledged, he's already said he's not coming back. The franchise is now going to have to ask itself, where do we go from here? Where the yeah, hell's the right. spoiler? Yeah, 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 yeah. So Richard Wilkins well, is reading it so literally. That. My take on this, this, yeah. is, this is what I'm going to say, is that No Time to Die for me is one of the most uneven <laughs> Bond movies. It is uneven, but I want to just... Re- that story where I came mm. out of the cinema oh, yes. after he died, yeah. I couldn't, I I couldn't, couldn't believe comprehend it. it. Remember Bruce? You know, Herschel said next to me, he goes... Is he dead? And I go, <laughs> I had to yeah, text you guys immediately. Herschel goes, he can't be dead. I, he can't I, be dead. I couldn't believe what it. What does it mean that Bond is dead? <laughs> is that not a bizarre? I wish, I wish this was like a, a vlog so that the people can see how animated Craig is right Look, the now. The two weeks, I remember thinking two weeks before Bond came out, I was like, oh, this is sad. One day I'll die and more Bond films will come out. <laughs> like it blew my mind. Because <laughs> I was thinking, oh man, my uncle's dead yeah. and he'll never see new Bond films. And I was like, yeah. Shh, what does it mean? Yeah. But then Bond dies and I'm like, what does that mean for me now? It, it yeah. What does it mean for old people that have grown up with Bond yeah. and believe in him? And th- and yes. that format, it's like saying, it, it really shocked yeah, me. building doors don't work anymore. Yeah. What do you mean doors don't work? Bond doesn't die. It That's shocked me. And, and I still don't know how I feel about it. I don't know how you resurrect James I, Bond. I loved it. Not James Bond, I, the person. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't. I thought it was such a beautiful... Like, the, <laughs> the sequence when he has the phone conversation with... Um, yeah, no, but... With the, it's so beautiful. I can, can I when just he says, say... You know, yeah. I, I've seen the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. It's his daughter. Mm. You know, and, and I just... Yeah, I kind you, of... Because you made her. Yeah, yeah and I, I was sort of... I thought, okay, Daniel Craig's gone. You can't take this any further. Something has to go, which is why I said to Herschel, the next person has to be, or the next, why don't they, so in my mind, why wouldn't you completely reconfigure the notion of James Bond from you? Well, no, they they might do that. But I was very happy. I thought this is ingenious. 
the nanobot robots yeah. virus have stopped Bond being with his family. Yeah. The format has reset. Bond can go on, but this is a horribly tragic oh, so moment. Oh, he survives and he has to get over yes, the grief of losing his family. He can just leave, and now he can never talk or be in the same. But room it's not just them. his family; it's anyone. He can't have contact. No, 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 it's no. His no. Family. It was is just, it just his, his family. That's the whole point: is that the oh, villain it's the DNA that he's the used, DNA yeah. has, and that's like a horribly sad. Yeah. That's as bad as Diana Rigg being shot in the yeah. car at the end of On Her Majesty's, and I'm like, brilliant, well done. But then I couldn't You're believe right. he it died. It would have been that standard secret agent trope, like in the Mission Impossible franchise. No, but exactly. Tom Cruise watched. Exactly. Is, no, but I think, I think we, the reason I think we're missing something here is because, and this is really what my take is, the reason I think this movie is so uneven, so I'm going to say that there are moments of incredible grandeur in this film. Yeah. Like, I think the opening scene for me, mm-hmm. I, I really, I watched, it, I watched it again, I feel the opening scene for me is the best in the history of Bond. That that opening well, sequence cool. is my favorite. With the car, the, the getaway. No, no, no. And I'm saying from the from the kid, from the mask the ice, sequence, the ice. That whole thing is the prologue, and then you cut to uh, you cut to Billie Eilish. For me, that's the greatest opening scene in Bond. Oh, and I gotta say, I bloody love that Billie Eilish song. <laughs> but now I'm I just saying, I just wanted to say that's that. Fine. Let, let's that's move fine. on. I now, just wanted to say now, that. For me, <laughs> I, I love Skyfall. Yeah. And we're back in Skyfall territory. Very serious. The the menace and the violence in that opening scene where the mother is shot by yeah. by, by Rami Malek. Uh, yeah. That's genuinely yeah. he comes upstairs to kill a little child. Yeah. That's that's violence that you don't really see in James Bond. Yeah. So for you know me, what it's a you know little bit like this Sergio hunt- Leone once upon a time in the West where they mm. come on the, the, yeah, the farmhouse. Yeah, yeah. Where you get massive overhead shots and you, or, and you get wide um, shots as they come Christopher out of the farmhouse. Christopher Waltz house. in um, that Tarantino film. Which is riffing on once right, upon a time right, in the West, right. yeah. But then something I don't understand is, and I think this is the tension that we're discussing here, and I think it's because Kerry um, Fukunaga had to make some decisions and there's, it's a lot of money, there's a studio involvement in it. Then there are some incredibly uneven moments that just can't be explained. Like, well, r- Rami Malek for yeah. me is the biggest is the biggest waste of this film because a waste. Mm. a waste because Blofeld's in it, who's meant to be the most powerful enemy ever, the biggest baddest guy. He <laughs> dies in the most yeah. pathetic chair. <laughs> That's what I said to Herschel. This is like the biggest badass in the history yeah. of, of of art, and suddenly the dude just falls over. And but and, and then but Rami Malek, who's can we just he's say way he, underdone? He's un, he's movie. undercooked, but also he's and he's got his some ridiculous monologues. The beginning of the film, he says, "I want to kill Blofeld." Midpoint, kills Blofeld. All right, well, thanks for coming, everyone. <laughs> Head on out, enjoy popcorn. I hope you had a great time. <laughs> but then, no, nah, no, nah, actually, I want to kill Madeline Swan. It's like, what the, what the hell? What, what not only that, that's ridiculous. Apparently, you know, so, so, so I said to Herschel, one of the huge plot holes in this movie is the only way it makes any sense is if both uh, um, the bad guy and mm. Bond love uh, Madeline. Yes. Right? So I said to Herschel, uh, so just because he now needs her help to get the Blofeld, which is wildly coincidental, mind you, uh-huh. the, the timing is he's, ridiculous. He's the left her yeah, alone yeah. for 25 exactly. years? So what I've got What's in he my been notes doing here? just watching her from afar? So what I've got in my notes here, and then suddenly everyone comes together around like a, 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 you a know what? particular sequence, and for me it's just really clumsy plotting mm. because they don't care enough. It's as bad as the um, Dark Knight Rises, mm. the horrible bit where Batman has to rebuild himself a second time and crawl out of a cave. Oh yeah, because yeah, because yeah, yeah. they needed to wait thirty days before blowing up the city. Yeah. Like yes. why? So what? all this sort of it's ridiculous. You know, what's those things called? Um, uh, me- ex machina. Ex- das- ex- man- <laughs> <laughs> the machine of the gods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So so it's it's adding in these, you know, 
ridiculous plot excuses. mechanisms yeah. that enable you to get somewhere. But there's no, there's nothing organic in it. But at the end, he is as caricatured as Doctor No. But the problem is, is that he was supposed to be a serious character. So well, R- I, Rami Malek, and he's an extremely capable actor. Like, yeah, that's my point, it. though. I think there's so much material left on the cutting room floor yeah. here that if that's that's developed this character, I think there's going to be way more Rami Malek between the opening scene and when he eventually meets Madeline Swan. Yeah. Mm. There's so much stuff before that, but they've chosen to go. And this is my argument here. They felt the pressure to have traditional Bond as well. I read a, I read an article by the writers and the Guardian. And they said that they were at a party and this guy, whenever they rapped and whenever he watched it, he always said, nice job, guys. You've done a great, another great job. I really enjoyed it. And he said, but the funny thing was he never wrote us about Skyfall and we were at a party and he was there. And, he, and they said, how come you never wrote us about Skyfall? You write us about all the other movies you've written. And he said, because Skyfall is not a Bond movie. That's Whoa. what the guy said. Now, I think that is a more important point than most people realize. Mm. So when he goes to, when they go to Cuba mm. or when they're doing these things and suddenly you go from... James Bond, James Bond is in trauma to he's doing one-liners and taking a drink of, of vodka in between killing people. and, and, and It's do, really jarring, like yeah. To me, it never works. I don't think um, Fukunaga gets it right pretty much any place here. Then you switch <laughs> back from that and you've got Felix Leiter dying on that, on that boat. And, yeah. and I thought to myself, that's what happens. That's the best you got for Felix Leiter. That made no sense to me either. Mm-hmm. So it's like they tagged in that line. If you think about it, Felix is in Doctor No. But also, look at it this way. If you're a Bond fan, Felix means a lot. Yes. And then you're shortchanged. If you don't know who Felix Leiter is, you've got two scenes where they're having a drink in a bar and now he dies and James Bond's sad. But That's then James also says, strange. Yeah, yeah. I had a brother. It was Felix Leiter. Yeah. The problem is that writing is clumsy as well because he didn't yeah. lay the foundation for but it. Also so there's basic a bit of this things, like We were talking about Rami Malek. How, I said this to Herschel as we're walking out. How in God's name do you not have a flashback to the scene in which his family is killed. Yeah. Because it's but, so but they must have had that. They must have formation. left that out. The movie's already, what, what is it, 163 minutes? What, what was mm. Yeah, but movie? we're talking, do it impressionistically across 19 seconds of footage interspersed in, say, three different sections. Like, do those kinds of interesting black and white type things, right? But we need to see the child traumatized mm. by what he's seen. And that would have done so much more than all the stupid monologues he has. And if you think about yeah. it, if you were the writers, don't you link... Rami Malek as a child witnessing the death of his parents to James Bond now having a child. Yeah. That's obvious. It's, they must have filmed it. They must have written it. They just didn't keep it in it because they didn't have the space. I think they had to have shot that sequence from his they, childhood. I mean, several also, people reference it. Also, what kind of strange world is it where they go, Madeline, like they've chosen Madeline Swan to now have the childlike moment. Yeah. The one character that probably didn't need it because she's the love interest, right? But then Rami Malek is somehow associated with that, and that's why he loves it. Like, why not have him an ex-boyfriend? Or what I'm interested in is when I watch it again, say in three months or six months, or if we watch it in two years, how would you process No Time to Die? So when I I love the Daniel Craig Bonds for the most part. I didn't like Spectre. I didn't like Quantum of Solace as much. I liked the first half of it, not the second half. But I love Casino Royale and Skyfall. For me, this is nowhere near Casino Royale or Skyfall. But I love the opening. I think it reaches heights that most Bonds have never reached. And I actually have to say that I love the ending. I love mm. this I kind the of theatrical, yeah. this huge... Um, and I've got in my well, notes... it's kind here, of epic, I think. Like I'm saying, it's you Shakespearean know, it's in scale. Kind of cinema. So I want to sum up what my take is. I think what's happened here is you had the skeleton of some really impressive scenes. But to me, do we have to ask the question, 
Is it Daniel Craig that looms larger over this film? Is it Daniel Craig that led to what it is? In the article in The Guardian, Daniel Craig was a producer on this film, uh, and he, in fact, flew out to New York, and he stayed there for two weeks to work with the writers. See, that's what – like, really? I was about to interrupt you there because that's how I felt watching it. Yeah, when right. he's on the phone, I'm like, no, 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 no. This is excellent. The format resets. He's, yep. He can't touch his family. Beautiful. Now he won't ever see no, them. No, but I believe yeah, yeah. Danny no. Boyle wanted to kill Bond and, and um, Barbara Broccoli of was course, supporting yeah. that. Right. Um, and so Bond, I think, was always going to die. But I think that's the thing. This is star power at work. I can totally see because I've worked with stars. Yeah, yeah. I know how this works. They get a thing in their head and they're like, <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. It's like Han yeah. Solo. It's yeah, like yeah. Harrison Ford. we got to kill Han Solo. You know, we got to kill him. And they didn't do it in Empire and he was pissed and then he had to do it in Is that, that true? Other. Yeah, yeah. He wanted Han Solo to die in the Empire. I definitely know with Tom Cruise. You know, on Mission Impossible, for example, it's well, like he wanted to die. No, no, no. no, he, no. It's just he, he wanted he, to he run wanted fast. The ending to go this way, like Robert Town. Oh, right. uh, I saw this interview with Brian De Palma, and he said Robert Town had written an ending where they were just flipping masks off each other. And I said, <laughs> "What the hell's going on? I can't follow this story at all." And then apparently Tom Cruise had just ended on the train, do a big action scene. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. De Palma said, "I'll always respect Tom Cruise because he knew he had the clout. He could. He's going to get his way." Yeah. But that I think a lot of people may be listening and don't. Appreciate the degree to which stars determine Absolutely. the way I major think if Daniel Craig work. could have said from the beginning, before he signed on for this film, he said, if you make me die as James Bond, I'll do it. And so that's, that's interesting because I mean, that would be obviously closely but, guarded. But, right? we're, also yes, making, but yeah. we're making an assumption here. We're, like, say so in my notes here, I've got, for me, is the question, did he loom a little too large over this Bond movie? And I that's so. what led yeah. to the unevenness. Yep. But then I asked the question, is it possible that that's justified? Because Daniel Craig... Almost single-handedly, you have to say, he has given James Bond life. Well, that Craig, sure, I don't think Bond even exists now. Well, it's not only that. He's taken Bond into a, a sort of blockbuster megasphere that it never was before. No Bond film had made a billion the, the, dollars. The type of money we're talking about is we're talking about Marvel kind of money, some silly money, right? Yeah. Now, I think Daniel Craig has given James Bond another 30 years, another right. 50 years. This thing's not going any anytime soon unless they really – have trouble reinventing what's going to happen now, which is something that I hope we get to discuss in, yeah, in, in a little bit. Yeah, I was just going to say, before we go to the mise en scene, like, we should each have a, a, a theory on where, the, where does Bond go from here? This is the million-dollar question. I have no idea. So it's my first response. Second <laughs> response, retro. Well, that, that's okay, what Herschel so thought. We, but we, we were having a but conversation. Came, yeah. But it's, all, it's not going to be possible to go retro because the way that the Hollywood fantasy machine works is you have to be able to project the future in some way that is not closed off. Wild Wild West. (laughs) (laughs) Time travel. Time travel. But we we have to, you know, this is the fundamental fantasy of the Hollywood studio system, which is you have to be able to identify with some kind of narrative that says you're going to be elevated. And, you know, know, that's that Forrest Gump thing, right? The sky's the limit. Worst case scenario, worst case scenario, serialized streamer content with double O agents doing many different tasks. But that's, in effect, the end of the franchise. Then. Of course, that would kill it. And I'm, I'm scared that it could go no, that no, way. No, no, no. You can't make a billion dollars and kill a franchise. No way. There's another movie. They're already... Well, they screen, couldn't have in, written James Bond in return. They've got an idea. They've got an idea. Now, I want to finish off by saying, I don't know if it's justified what they did with Daniel Craig, but I think that's why it's so uneven. Because they made compromises. You've got a farcical moonraker in places with mm-hmm. lots of one-liners and craziness. And you've also got Skyfall, which is really about a sociopath who's well, completely What about the sequence with the woman from Knives Out? 
That's, that's my point. So, so I, that, that's I thought a com- that was so strange. That's a completely comic. That's yeah. a comedic sequence. Now, that I thought I, I really like her. I, I thought she was cool, but it's Roger Moore. Yeah. So I don't know how you can add also, that in the same wise. It was just dumb. Killing everyone, Inspector. I mean, what oh, was that about? What a ridiculous! Why did why did you? <laughs> so fight? you didn't like this movie, did you, Craig? <laughs> no, I did. I loved it. But yeah. there are things in it that make me so yeah. angry. Why fight so hard that legal battle for years and years <laughs> and years from since when was Thunderball outlined? Sixty six, I think. Yeah, but like even that. before that, a couple of years yeah, before yeah. that, they had to break down the script, which is how this yep. guy claims to own Blofeld. What did it? So that took until what three? So it took almost sixty years <laughs> to get Blofeld back in the Eon stable and Spectre. They have it for one movie. It's kind of crap movie. And then the next movie, they all they kill Spectre in one ridiculous moment. <laughs> and, and the dreadful. problem is, what is now left in the wake of Spectre? There's nothing that's promised in the wake, because. But I mean, that's part of the reinvention. But yeah. I agree that the, the the plotting is just not interesting enough. So I love the opening. Mm. I think the ending's got a lot going for it. But the middle, I can like, I, I'm not interested in. Well, that. I, I I've been debating. <laughs> It's still in cinemas, and I'm like, should I go? Because I really want to watch that ending, yeah. knowing that he's going to die. Because I sat there with my jaw dropped when he <laughs> that he did die, and I was yeah. like, no way, no and way. And I think no it's way. a different experience. He's going to pop up out of the water right next to them and go, I made it. You know? <laughs> I was I was pretty convinced when those 19 rockets <laughs> fell right in his no, head. I know, but I couldn't believe because it, it's James Bond. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 24 yeah. films have taught me he won't die. <laughs> if it was Pierce Brosnan, he would have swam up under <laughs> under a cave. But you know, I, I started getting nervous. I started getting nervous because I like you, Craig. Yeah. I went into a denial. I couldn't believe I couldn't that believe he was it. dying. Yeah, but you we know? were getting yeah. too farcical at that point because if he'd have survived, yeah. then it would have been comedic. Oh, it and then sucked. the tone would have yeah. switched yeah. drastically. Yeah. Once the but I want to watch, I would love to watch it again yeah. knowing that he will die. And I think, it's and I think I'll enjoy it emotionally. Like I'll yes. really sob and go, oh, this is bad. Because I'll believe it's about to happen. It's a far more even experience when you're not watching for what the hell's going to happen to James Bond? Yeah, yeah. Because then he, I, I, in the second viewing, for example, I said to Herschel, wow, that scene where he's going through the labs and stuff, they do a long take yeah, and yeah, it's kind yeah. of like yeah. a Alphonse oh, the, the Cuaron scene, take yeah, out yeah, of yeah. Children of Men. Or and even um, old, old like, boy in like yeah, the yeah, yeah. hammer fight. Absolutely. Thinking, and yeah. just holding. And so kind of the, the film showing its... Um, it's cinematic clout. And I like that, you know, so the first time I saw it, I, you know, it was, I didn't see that. Second time, I can forget about all the other stuff and I can just look at the, the spectacle of it. And I thought that was a, yeah. so the, the spectacle of the emotion and the spectacle also just of the cinema. So that's that, what the that movie is. is for me. The movie is both like grandeur in places, but so much lost opportunity. Mm. I think Rami Malek, it's such a shame. That's the saddest that, uh, that he's not the, explored. The, the part that has been written for him mm. is so absurd. He has nothing to do, and everything that he does do makes no sense whatsoever. Mise en scène. Now it's time for our mise en scène, where we zoom into one scene or sequence from the film. Up first, it's Bruce. What have you picked for us from On Her Majesty's Secret Service? So a lot of people talk about this movie in terms of the, I don't know if you guys remember well, the bobsled scene. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, Which, as Herschel said before, the staging of the snow action is as good as it's going to get in James Bond. And and I was going to talk about the bobsled because I get so much enjoyment out of it. But in the end, I wanted to pick a scene that I think summed up what George Lazenby brought to the film and paved a bit of a way for just how camp things would get Mm -hmm. in the future. So I'm just going to read my favourite bit of dialogue, maybe in any James Bond. He's talking uh, as Hilly, 
to the women <laughs> at dinner and he says... <laughs> no, he's make sure you do hear his voice. <laughs> he's, ta- <laughs> he's talking about coats of arms and he says it has things like, you know, flags and it has crosses. And then he says it has bezant. And what? the bezant. What's bezant? Uh, well, that's exactly what the young woman says. And he says, <laughs> gold balls. <laughs> Gold balls. And then, now it continues. <laughs> so this says, gold balls. I brought a book on the subject <laughs> with me. There's a picture of my coat of arms, actually, which oh includes my. four of them. Four gold balls. The woman, g- the women mm. gasp. Then he says, if you'd care to see them. <laughs> the woman then gets her lipstick, pulls up. He's got a kilt uh-huh, on. Uh-huh. So we should sketch this for the... Uh, she writes a room. By the way, they're also sitting she, at a dining room table so you can't table. see what's going on. So, yeah. so the camera goes underneath the table yeah. and she writes under his kilt on his upper thigh, right? Yeah. Now, he's just been talking about his bezant gold balls. She goes under his kilt, writes... And now we don't see exactly what her hand's doing. Mm-hmm. But then, Bond freezes yeah. and kind of tenses yeah. and... Uh, is it Irma Bunt? Bunt, yeah. yeah. Says, Bunt. is anything the matter? Mm. And he says, just the sudden stiffness coming on. In the shoulder or something. <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't include that because yeah, he says yeah. in the shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've written here. Yeah. Could you have imagined such an exchange in Sean Connery prior to George Lazenby? You know, there's a... There, there, there's, I, see, I could. I I thought about yeah. for all of Connery's suaveness that people talk about. There was such a masculinity to Connery that I don't think George Lazenby's got. I see George Lazenby as a sort of effeminate man. Like that's the way I see him. The way he dresses, the frilled shirts, right? Yeah. So I think there's a preparation. But then he's also impersonating. Someone that the he film did. implies is, is of, gay. Of course, but, but now there's but a wonderful... Even there's, before there's, he goes into that persona, though, when he's dressed at the beginning with his tux on, yeah. it's got the massive ruffles. Um, yeah, 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 he's yeah, a different yeah, yeah. type and of And even bond. though, okay, it is late 60s and people might dress like that, it's, that Sean Connery didn't dress like that, you know, yeah. in Thunderball. Sean Connery's got the wetsuit on, you know, with a harp. With a duck on his head. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's from golfing. <laughs> By the time we get to the Roger Moore era, you know, in a film like Moonraker, the heroine of the film was called Dr. Goodhead. So we're in, a, we're in an aesthetic here that has radically changed yeah. through the 1970s and into the 80s. And I just think this moment where he's able to say just the sudden stiffness coming on, can you <laughs> imagine people watching that in the cinema? Like that level of double entendre. Like but I, but they, change, they change, in, in this movie, Bond is changed immediately. Like I actually think that line is very important when they say, when he says his name. And he, what, the, the, big, the, the tone, or like the timbre of yeah. his voice, like when he's like, is the Bond, opposite. Yeah. But he also says, this never happened to the other guy, <laughs> which is yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the worst that's line a, in the movie. That's the craziest moment. <laughs> One of the craziest moments in the franchise because well, this never French- happened to the other guy. I do think there's a countercultural air of sexual deviance in this movie that for me was not in Sean Connery. And I guess that, you know, in these moments here where... The women are making it, you know, he's gay, but he's not. And there's Mm. a subterfuge, but there's a clear kind of, I think there's a homosexuality to the, to the, you know, the the, the aesthetic of it, the way it's put together with Mm -hmm. the women and there's one man. So I think that lays the groundwork for some interesting explorations that are going to coming, are going to be coming through Roger Moore. But um, but Roger Moore doesn't. So much he, I don't think he's not as far on the continuum. I think as George Lazenby. Okay, Herschel, what have you got for us for your miss on scene? Take two. 
Okay, so my mise-en-scene, it was, it was always going to be one of two scenes. I was either going to go with the ending, which is probably in the vicinity of a 45-minute epic of fighting and emotion and, and, and the loss of James Bond. But I decided to go with the opening scene. I said earlier in, the, in our podcast here that I think now, for me, it ranks as the best opening scene in James Bond. And the reason I say that is because it completely rewrites the rules of what a Bond prologue is. Mm-hmm. By shifting time like that, and y- by putting a character in it that has nothing to do with James Bond, by introducing the villain up front like mm. that, you then cut from the ice scene. Now, the, I, I should also say... Although don't forget, Urshul, that uh, Bond is not in the opening to From Russia With Love. Mm-hmm. Because I think they were in the Bond mask yeah. as well. But that is Bond, though, because that's his mask. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not supposed you know. <laughs> You're an idiot. You've misunderstood that. <laughs> okay, but the point I want to make here is that for the first time in a Bond film, they've written substantial parts of the story and the plot and the narrative into the prologue. The prologue is normally disconnected from the rest of the movie. It's also really long, that prologue. It goes forever. Okay, it goes for a long time. Now, the other thing I want to say is, the overhead shot of the ice is overwhelming. Mm. There's some true beauty in the mm. opening shots. It's, it, it, it does, I don't think it gets better than this opening piece of the film. From here, mm. we cut to Madeline coming out of the water. Bond comes to her. And this is a change to James Bond. It's, it's you know, um, they, they're happy. They're a bit pensive. There's probably some trouble. There are, there are lies and, 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 um, and difficulties in their new life. But it is a new life. And that's different to Bond. We've never seen this in Bond before. Bond is not. Uh, I, I'm so angry. I'm so angry about the beginning. This is my. I'm so sorry to interrupt you, Herschel. No, 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 no. I don't, I don't like it. I don't. Like, I think it's them desperately trying to work out how to fit it all together of these other four Craig films that they didn't plan properly. I think they're each trying to work it out together, but. For me, I really love it because the final part, of course, Look, is the executed action. perfectly. Mm. Let's give it... Uh, yeah. Yeah. But the action scene, yeah. you, it's unrivaled. Well, there's that awesome scene The motorcycle. Where they, yeah. Well, the cars coming in, he has to duck behind the rock thing on the oh, side. Yeah. My favourite bit the is the, uh, well, whatever, the, the car doing a donut with yeah. the guns <laughs> But what about... Yeah, but that was kind of a bit ostentatious. No, it's 100% like, Western Sydney, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, yeah, that's me. Red, that's, that's Red Rooster car park, baby. <laughs> that's the new Datsun. Yeah. We'll get it out to a Red Rooster. Yeah, we'll do a U-turn. Uh, no, big donut. But one of the most emotional scenes in the, in the entire film, I think, is where... Um, the, the 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 bad guys, the guy with the blowfile's eye, when he's shooting at the window at Madeline's head, and mm. it's got the bulletproof thing, and and Bond, mm. and I think this is where Daniel Craig's acting really shines through because he's actually a very good actor, where he makes a decision to support her, as opposed to let it all go, and that's when he does the burnouts. I I think it's it's a wonderfully dramatic scene that is unlike any other Bond movie, and that's why I do love it. Now I need to watch the movie again because the question for me is. Is that opening scene compromised by what comes after it? Because it's so expansive, how can it survive the rest of the it's film? It's definitely going to be compromised because the opening scene promises that this menacing force on the snow or the ice is, is, is like Satan. And that's not what he becomes. No. Yeah. He becomes this minuscule little thing. But in terms of ticking the boxes, you've got an incredibly suspenseful 
I think the most violent opening to a Bond film, most violent perhaps scene in a Bond film, with that child killing the mother like that, and that mother drinking alcohol like that. We haven't mm. really seen depiction like that around children, especially. Well, there's hardly any children in a Bond film. Yeah. Like there's been about twice that a mm. child has mm. occurred in a Bond. One of them is the Roger Moore <laughs> chucking the of kid course. off the boat in Thailand. Who else? <laughs> Who else, Craig? Who else but Roger Moore can do things like that? Um, what What are the things? Okay, before each one has to have a. 30 seconds theory, yeah. where does James Bond go from here? Okay, okay I love this. Right, right. Okay, I don't know what no, happens to Bond, I'll but this is what they need to do. Totally reinvent the form. Generically change it entirely. And my, my, my suggestion to the broccolis would be pay someone <laughs> like Tarantino or someone like that anything they want so that you put a completely new signature on the film. Money's no object for them, Bruce. They can pay anyone. Okay, you know what Who will work with them? You know what the biggest thing is, what you've just said there, is that you're saying auteur over actor. And Bond's always been actor. Yeah, it's but always been you're going to have to... I think they need to change... So, for example, I think they need to change the tone. They're going to change the pacing of it. Because it's... But change it's, to what, it's run what, what else is there? Okay, can I suggest... They just, kill, they just kill James Bond. All right, tell me this. If, can we go back to missions? Can we see Bond walk into M's office, be given a brief, and have to do something by okay. the end of the film? You, my answer to I that would is like the that. three of us could, and people like us, yeah. mad enough but to see, love the franchise this much. You take your, your, your regular punter who needs to go and see this movie for it to make a billion dollars mm. to say, hang on a second, that dude died in the... You know, why am I watching some sort of prequel? Oh, hang on, which so you're trying to work out how to bridge the two? I thought you were just saying, like, I don't know. You can't no. kill someone and write they're going to return. But see, I had two ideas. You so can Bruce, if you if Okay, you, if hang you on. Create, sorry. No. Is this your... your Herschel, you've got an yes, idea? Yes, I had two okay. ideas. Okay, so, Bruce, this remember, I immediately said to you, if I was, if I was the Broccoli's, I... I do the, the retrospective. But I take Bond to when he's like 22 and he joins the SAS <laughs> and he's like messed up kind Oh, of he's person. at Cambridge. So we're, we're, oh, young, we're young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Exactly. Exactly. But you do Cambridge. it well as opposed to the Indiana Jones Chronicles. You do this really well. <laughs> and you right. don't get Shia LaBeouf to play anything <laughs> in the film. And the second one I had was sim- similar to what you just said. I said to Bruce, what if you had James Bond but the whole movie is now much more focused. So it's like Day of the Jackal. There's going to be an assassination and James Bond's job is to stop it. So you've that's got what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. What if you emotionally identify so strongly? Don't, like, it, when we were young, wasn't it always James Bond will return? Yeah. And what you project is the future of the thing you just watched. But what you guys are talking about is taking out the idea of a past, present, and future. It's just all past. Okay, but, isn't okay, that okay. but isn't that Mission Impossible? M- mainstream audiences can't invest in that but that's, sort of It's thing. Mission Impossible, though. It's not past, present, or future because you don't put a time to it. You can do it any way you want to do it. No, but at the same time, we imagine the continuity of the life of Ethan Hunt. Right, we want to see what happens to him, and there's continuity in the Mission Impossible films, especially with his wife. And but also the, the characters that keep sure. recurring. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So what I'm saying is, can you ask a person not like us? I think we would love to to see Bond continue, but can you really ask a, a person who is interested in Bond but not an aficionado to say, go and watch this movie because when this guy was 28 years old, he had this amazing mission. Okay, but he dies when he's you know a few he, years later. Here's my pitch. You ready? The next film to come out is called <laughs> Dr. No. And from there, we start from the beginning and move forward. And it, they are remakes. You know what? It would make a crap load of money. Yeah. Because then you've got Dr. No. You've got two versions. You've got the brand. and you, you've The got... next film after Dr. No, guess what it's called? From Russia with Love. 
and it's just a remake. Oh, man, but no, I would no, but it can't be that. a remake. Why? It's from Russia. Well, you can't do from Russia with love and Spectre in in Russia. The country. So different. what is it? A period piece? No. <laughs> oh, you take it's it, a remake, you do a but only in, in name. Thing. It's a remake in name, in character, but the story is necessarily but different. But it should be a soft reboot like that damn Star Wars film, the, the Episode Seven. You know. Yeah, yeah, but look where that ended up. Yeah, they, but they uh, tried to do but it, but and it fell apart. Because they pretended it was a new movie. Why not just say this is called Doctor No? I mean, the only thing is, Craig, I love this idea. It's intriguing. Would you be satisfied with that? Because for me, a thing with Bondies, yeah. I want to know what the next look Bond is. Look at how much yeah. joy. No, no. Look You'd be at driving much... into a cul-de-sac. I think that we enjoy, and I think the whole reason you do canon, the reason nincompoops continue to do Shakespeare on theatre is because when mm. something is canonised, you do it again and over and over and over, and people love the variation. They love saying, this actor did it better. They love doing comparisons. I mean, I remakes are typically death. For it's film. intriguing though. Remakes really? of death for film. Really? Name Spider-Man. a remake that works. Spider-Man. Make look, look at a remake Spider-Man that works. What? Franchise. No, but what I'm saying is, you've put a ceiling. You've you, you, you've got a ceiling on where you can go. Name a remake that has been really successful. Like that you can do it repetitively. There's none. No. We're all squinting into the middle of the room. <laughs> Professor of film here. <laughs> Come on, man. Help me out. <laughs> There's got to be some good remakes. There, there's got there's good remakes of but songs. But they're not good though. They're not there's good. good songs. Now that's different. This happens with music it's, all it's the time. Easy, it's easier to do a, a remix of a five minute song and come up with something that's a little bit novel than it is to take Doctor No. <laughs> See, I'm still sitting here going remake. Evil Dead. Evil Dead. They're no good. These no, movies are no good. Okay, okay, no, no. There's got to be good. Superman. Uh, Batman. Like said, Batman. The Dark Knight. No. That's a nah, but Dark Knight. And also, I don't really like Dark Knight. And here's why they can't do it. Because if you remake Doctor No and it flops, that's the end of Bond again. They need another reinvention. Yeah, but you could say that for any Bond. Not necessarily, because like Pierce Brosnan lived and died on the rubbish of the writing. That was just yeah. a terrible story. Okay. But people Daniel are... Craig could still come along. You make Doctor No, then Doctor No makes no money. Then you go from Russia with love, it's worse. So then you go, nah, I'm not going to do You Only Live Twice because this, <laughs> this, this mechanism doesn't work anymore and I'm back to Daniel I, Craig. I, I mean, in, in, in a okay, that, that would be a fear for go. the studio. Thunderball was written by that dude who then yeah. took them to court, owned the story, he owned the characters. Yeah. He made Never Say Never yeah. Again. That is exclusively a remake of Thunderball. Yeah. He's just changed a few things. So the, the big question, Craig, to your idea is, can you invest emotionally in a movie that's going to cost $150 million if the guy is effectively dead? For the next movie? Is that what you're asking me? For the next movie no, that comes like out, to know that the guy you're watching Died. Dies. I, see, yeah. I don't no, know if you in can. Fact, no, but I think you can. I, in fact, think that's an advantage, if, if I'm being honest. Okay, what about this? Last question before we go. What's your favorite James Bond film? Mm. Now, it's impossible to say this because it's so tied to context. It's tied to it our It changes histories. all the time as well mm. for me. No, and it also depends on mood because I, I love watching A View to a Kill, but I, can't, I won't watch it in certain places. I love watching Skyfall, but only when I'm interested in a very serious movie. So if I'm saying the movie that I've seen the most, uh, that for me is a better question. Which Bond movie have you seen more than any other Bond movie? And for mm-hmm. me, it's from Russia with Love. Yeah, mm. for me, my two favorites. Mine is Diamonds of Forever. Diamonds of Forever. Mine's Dr. No... And from Russia with Love, I think. Actually, maybe Goldfinger as well. I can watch Goldfinger over and over again. Well, yeah, I yeah. also love Live and Let Die. I love Diamonds I Are Forever, but, but Diamonds Are Forever's ending for me is really weak. Yeah. 
Oh, the oil reek, I think that... But i got to say, the, the first half of Diamonds Off... Like when, when, the, when the old lady's floating through the river <laughs> yeah. in Amsterdam yeah. and, and the two guys are talking, and uh-huh. he says, it just seems that when whoever contacts, like gets in touch with these diamonds dies. <laughs> you know, it's so hammy. It's, it's, it's the campiest, wonderful. amazing yeah. thing ever. It's just great. Before we go... Favorite Bond song. That's a good question. That too. Oh. Okay, so for this me, is where I get serious. Because now you're talking about Paul McCartney, you're talking about yeah, so yeah. many people. But for me, it begins and ends. Wait, 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 wait. We'll say it together because I reckon we got the same one. Ready? The me name or the band? I'm going to say my favorite song. Okay, I'm going to go. Wait, wait, I want to okay. think of my favorite song first. Okay, okay. Do you, do you have yours? I've got mine. I, I, okay, I've got mine. We'll go three, two, one, and we'll all say okay. it, okay? Bruce, you get yours. Got it. Okay, here we go. Three, one. two, one. One Goldfinger. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say, Ruth? View to a Kill. Same here. That's yeah. what I said. Well, okay. I love View to a Kill. Duran Duran. And amazing video it's, clip. It's a fantastic song. And don't forget, Aha. Uh-huh. I think that's it. I think we've yeah. covered Bond I think a lot. that's a good session. And I think we really you, nailed if it. If you wanted to know what it was like hanging out with us, yeah. or if you were unfortunate enough to sit near us at the <laughs> public library after school... You have just <laughs> experienced yep. 90 to 100 minutes of what it was like <laughs> us growing up as high schoolers. And also yeah. the degree to which this movie shook the three of us. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I there's still a sense of disbelief because I grew up with Bond and we grew up with Bond so much. I mean, obviously our parents have passed away, but what would mum have said? If she'd have gone there and James Bond gets killed at the end, uh, she'd she have started swearing and, and Well, and I can't imagine what my Uncle Ken would have thought. Yeah. Like, I'm scared my parents are still alive. They want to see it, and I nearly took them last week. And I was like, I don't think I can sit with them. I don't know. If, like, this would be like 100 times worse than watching a sex scene with them. You know what I mean? Do you know what I did do? I showed, we watched Knives Out again with my mum. Yeah, that's they, Because it's they, fun. Did, did it's Daniel Craig. Like it? It's fun. Yeah, they yeah, love it. They beautiful. love it. But it, to think of them having to watch James Bond die, yeah. I don't know if I... I don't know how to feel about that. I don't know what's going to happen. Well, that's it. Thank you so much. Listen to our other podcasts. Uh, no, our other episodes of this podcast, which are all about <laughs> different films. They're not all total geek outs on a um, geeky subject. On a this was a particularly geek fest. Yeah, I, I, but I kind we of apologize for this I feel like um, we didn't get too deep into any of. Can I say something that I really anything. like about our podcast that we've done? Sure. I like the fact that... If it's going to get us more listeners, you say whatever you want. (laughs) It sounds like we're getting awards right now. Let's go. I I just think a lot of podcasts that I listen to, like movie podcasts, they go for very mainstream things to get in the biggest audience. And I like the fact that the three of us agreed very early on that we have a commitment to cinema broadly. We, we, don't, don't, we go, don't care about our audience. We don't go, we don't go lowbrow. We don't go for the populace. We just want 10 people to listen to us. Don't forget to subscribe or follow us on your podcast app so that you'll see our new episodes pop up in your stream. Join us next time as we look into two amazing examples of true crime storytelling as we compare the granddaddy of murder documentaries, Errol Morris's The Thin Blue Line, to Bong Joon-ho's personal message to a serial killer with memories of murder. Goodbye for now and see you next time. Take two. Film. Verse. Film. Verse.